Welcome to the Valley Church. Our mission is to see change lives, and we hope that this relevant teaching inspires you to take the next step in your faith journey. Thanks for checking out the podcast and enjoy this message. Well, good morning. That was a pretty good good morning, like right away, so I'm not even going to have you do it again. All right. Well, my name is Pastor Taylor, as Pastor Ryan said, and I'm the youth pastor here at the Valley Church Piqua, and I'm so excited to be here with you guys today. Uh, if you don't know this about me, I am passionate about working with your teenagers. I am so excited to do it. It literally brings joy to my life. I also love working alongside some amazing leaders that also pour into your teens. And something that our goal with the teen ministry is to uh, teach and equip your teens for life, service, and leadership. I love that like motto and that phrase. We want to walk through life with them in the highs and in the lows and in the fun times and in the not fun times and just teach them how to live a daily life with Christ because we all know sometimes it's up, sometimes it's down. We also are passionate about teaching them about service, going out, doing things, loving others, you know, following Jesus' commands, and then ultimately about leadership because we believe strongly that everyone has influence, and if you use that influence, you are a leader. And so therefore, we believe that every single student that walks through our doors can be a leader, and that is something that we are passionate about. And so all that to say, if you're ever interested in joining our fun group that just gets to hang out and, and build into teenagers, please come talk to me, email me, find me in the atrium. I would love to chat with you. And if anything, I just get to brag about our teens, which I could probably do for a very long time. So you may want to sign up for that and then I'll just talk to you forever. <laughs> so I would love for you guys to, you know, come talk to me after if you're ever interested. But uh, that is not the point of today. The point of today is we are going to be talking about our series faves. Now this is a sermon series that is going over different passages in the Bible that have really stood out to um, us as communicators, things that have shaped our lives. Uh, so each of us have kind of a different passage. Um, the one that I chose today has had a, it had a specific point in my life in college that it really, really made an impact, and I'm going to talk about that later. But for the most part, this has just been a passage that I have just really enjoyed. But in order to kind of segue into that, I thought I might as well start with an embarrassing story. You see, I tell a lot of embarrassing stories about myself. When you work in teen ministry, it's just a habit. You just have to deal with it. You roll with it, and it's, it's whatever. So I just thought, hey, might as well start by sharing an embarrassing story about myself. So when I was a freshman in college, I got a job at what's called the Bear's Den. Now the Bear's Den was our on-campus restaurant, all right? We had pizza, we had wings, we had burgers, we had ice cream. It was like the best. And their mozzarella sticks, mmm, so good, all right? So I got a job at this restaurant called the Bear's Den, and I absolutely loved it. But on like my probably like second or third time working, we had this ice cream machine, and what we would do is we would make blizzards. So we had the ice cream, we put the candy in, and then we'd like mix it up in this machine that would spin really, really fast. And then we put more candy in and more ice cream in and then keep spinning it, okay? So I was really focused. I'm someone who when I do a job, I'm like, this is gonna be done right, all right? And it's gonna be done well. So I'm like making this ice cream. There's an older couple standing off to the side kind of watching me do this because it, it was their ice cream. And I'm like making the ice cream and something happened to the machine where I just wasn't sure what was going on. So what I did, hmm. Sorry. <laughs> Every time I got to pause. All right. So what I did was I bent down to look at what was going on. What I did not realize was that my ponytail <laughs> got like somehow caught 
in the machine and bam, like I smacked my head against that ice cream machine so hard, I was seeing stars. I was like, and I kind of stood up and I had the ice cream in my hand and I was convinced, I was like, oh, I'm for sure missing hair. Like, oh, absolutely I am. I was absolutely convinced about it. And I kind of turn over and <laughs> the poor older couple is over here and they're just like, <laughs> and I'm like, would you excuse me for a second? And I like walked to the back and like the other lady I was working with was standing back there and she was a senior and she was really, really nice. And I was like, am I missing any hair? <laughs> and she was like, what happened? So don't worry, I went back, I cleaned the machine, I made sure it was all good. I was not actually missing any hair. It just felt like that because my ponytail just, I mean, my head, oh. I had a headache for a couple days, let's just say that. But I tell that story because I had just started college and I was really, really nervous about like being in college and I was like, I'm gonna be a good student, I'm gonna be awesome. I had kind of kept it together for like a good two weeks. I went to school in Kansas, so I was like 15 hours away from home because I'm from Ohio. And I was like, it kind of triggered like just having an emotional breakdown because I was like, I can't do this. I'm not going to be a good college student and I can't work at this restaurant. I mean, I can't even make ice cream without completely turning into a disaster. And I was just, I was at a really low point. And it wasn't because of the ice cream incident. It just kind of triggered like all of these feelings of I am not enough. I am not adequate for being in school. I am not going to be able to succeed in this area. And while that, that's a really humorous reason as to why I got to that point in my life, apparently, it kind of happens to all of us. We reach a point, we reach a moment in our day, in our week, in our year, where we are just like, I am not enough. I am inadequate at everything I try to do. I can't do this. And unfortunately, especially when you walk into a life with God, you end up kind of believing that you are also a not good enough Christian. Like we step into this life with God and we go, okay, I'm going to take this bold step. Or we're thinking about it, but what holds us back is the fact that we are not enough. We have this, this voice in our head that is telling us, how dare you think you can. And we ultimately feel inadequate. And, and the problem becomes the fact that we genuinely don't walk well with God because we are the ones that hold ourselves back. And the bottom line for today, if you literally don't get anything else out of this, is the fact that when you step into a life with God, you and I have the confidence and the power through him to speak into others' lives and to make change happen. But oftentimes we refrain from believing that. So today I really want to talk about a passage that, that Paul wrote about and he really focused in on this issue because actually people were telling him that he was inadequate, that he wasn't enough. And so he's dealing with this problem, and so he's writing back to them, and so what he tells them is going to be really, really pivotal to like all that we are going through in our lives. So we're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, if you want to turn there. We're going to get there in a minute, but first I'm going to go into some context. So 2 Corinthians chapter 3 is where we're going to be, but first of all, we have to know what's going on. Context is king. I tell my students this all the time. If you don't understand something in the Bible, read the verses around it, figure out where the book came from, the context as to why it was written. Trust me, things will start to make more sense. So in order to really understand this passage, we have to dive into the context today. So as it says, the book of Corinthians was written to Corinth. No surprise there, all right? So Corinth is the, the hub of all things in Greece. It is directly across from Athens 
Greece. If you stand on this mountain in Corinth, and it's a very clear day, you can see Athens across the way, across the ocean. It's pretty far, but you can see it. And so back then, though, Corinth was the hub of all things. It was every shipping dock, it was every business, it was thriving, it was the place to be. It would have been very similar to like a New York City for us now. People moving in and out, it was if you wanted to get famous, if you just wanted to have like a life in general, they were like, go to Corinth. But here was the issue. Corinth was home to one of the largest temples for the goddess Aphrodite. Now Aphrodite was the goddess of love and lust. So that meant that this city was also at the same time one of the most probably eh, morally broken cities of the time. So Paul is writing to a city that while it is thriving, it also was just full of, you know, immoral people, wickedness. It was not exactly the kind of city that you would want to brag about going to. And so this is kind of a, an actual picture of it. I actually took that picture when I was in Corinth. And so right below is Corinth. And they had this phrase, and I'm totally not going to say this word right, but I'm going to try my best. <laughs> best. So Corinthia zisti. That's actually what I think it says. And it says to live like a Corinthian. And this was not a nice word to tell someone. Because to live like a Corinthian was to live in drunkenness and immoral debauchery. But while Corinth was maybe not the greatest place to be, it was very, very diverse. It had all kinds of people from all ethnicities, religions, backgrounds, you name it, they were there. And so it actually had a large population of Jewish people. So Paul was writing to these, these, these Jews, and he was talking to them while they are also, though, getting other letters and other people telling them, Paul is not trustworthy. Paul, you shouldn't listen to Paul. Paul is not someone who you can believe in. And they, they didn't like Paul so much that they even tried to get him like in trouble with like their governor. It was like a whole thing, just cause. So Paul is writing a letter to them and basically in Corinthians he's defending himself. He's saying, no, 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 you should listen to me and here's why. And so that's actually where we're picking it up. We're picking it up at these three verses that like the whole book is very good. But these three verses are so key because Paul is setting up the fact that he's like, listen, I am worthy to speak about these things to you, and here is why. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Let's read. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. For the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. So Paul lays it out for him in just a couple verses. And so I want to break down these verses real quick so we can really understand what he's saying. Because in order to know how it applies to our lives, we're going to have to really digest what he's saying to them. So in verse 4, he says that Christ is the one who is giving him the words to speak and the confidence to do so. And this is key, because Paul is like, I have the confidence I need in my life because of who Christ is and what he did for me. And this matters especially for Paul because it is not about his own words and his own credibility. It is about Christ. 
And if he went in and he was just like, uh, you should listen to me because I used to be a Pharisee. Now at the time, the Pharisees would have been like, they were very knowledgeable about everything you know, in the Old Testament. That was a title, that was a position. But instead, he says, no, 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 it's not about me. It's about the fact that I have Christ speaking through me. He is my confidence, not me. And that's very important for him to note to them. And then he leads into verse 5, and he goes that God has made him sufficient to speak this message. Now, actually, it uses the word competence, but that's not a word that we often use. You know, it's not common in just our everyday language. And competence can be translated to sufficient or sufficiency. And sufficient means meeting a standard, fit, appropriate, qualified, or able. So he's saying that I am competent, I am sufficient to speak this message because God has made me sufficient. God is the one who has, you know, made me and given me the knowledge. Not because of my own abilities, once again. So he's like repeating this again and again. That he is not enough, but it is God through him that is enough. And then finally in verse 6, we have the fact that there is life in the Holy Spirit. And this one's a bit weird for us, so we actually need a little bit of background. Because it talks about this concept, it says that he made us competent as ministers of the new covenant. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now for us, we don't quite understand what that's talking about because we are not... Uh, Jews in Corinth hundreds of years ago. But for them, they totally immediately would have understood what he's talking about. You see, he was talking about two different things. He's talking about the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. Now, the Old Covenant would have come out of the Old Testament. This was the promise that God made to his people. It followed all of the rules that they had to follow in order to live a, a holy life, and he wanted them to be set apart. And that was good and all, but then Jesus came to fulfill the old law. So the letter of the law, Jesus fulfilled that. He gave the, the life into the, that. He gave the Holy Spirit into that. And there is life in the Holy Spirit, and we have life in the Holy Spirit, and Paul is saying, I have life in the Holy Spirit. I am no longer in, in the dead old law, but I am in the new life in Christ. Think about it this way. Uh, I'm a theater kid, so I understand that when you have a script for a play, it can be great, you can even have like the best quotes, the best punchlines, everything that you need to make an amazing play. But that script is absolutely useless and dead unless an actor or an actress puts life to it. So unless someone takes those words and then actually speaks them and puts life to them, that script is useless. And so this is kind of similar to what Paul's talking about. He's like, listen, the script is still good. It's still there, but I have life in Christ. And you are taking that and you are putting new life to it. You are putting new uh, spirit in it. And so he is like, I have life in the Holy Spirit, and therefore that makes me enough. And so Paul is talking about how he is qualified to teach, to write to them, not because of who he is, but because of who God is. At the end of the day, that's the point. And so 
Knowing that, knowing in these three verses he's packing in all of that, we have to look at how does this actually apply to us and in our lives because that was several hundred years ago and we are not as maybe familiar with that context now. And so how on earth does that apply to where we are at today? And, and the truth at the bottom line is, is that many times we feel inadequate and not enough for whatever we are called to do by God in our lives. You and I don't. We don't feel like we are good enough. We don't feel like we're enough of a parent, of enough of a student, of an employee, of an entrepreneur, of an athlete. You don't feel like you can be good enough. You don't feel like you can work hard enough. You don't feel like you can get there. The constant pressure to do more, be more, like have more, we have to be enough. We ourselves have to, to compensate for that and we have to make sure that we make ourselves enough. Let alone, we don't even think we're enough to just, you know, live every single day and like it's hard enough to like, okay, I'm going to go to work today, I'm going to get up, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And like, it's a struggle enough to live our daily lives sometimes. And so the, the bottom line is, is that we can struggle with this, let alone the fact that we don't feel like good enough Christians a lot of times. We feel inadequate to talk about God. We feel like we're not able to lead we feel like we can't live for him in this world because everything that we say and do, we just feel like people just push back at and they push back at and they just want to question you. And so you don't feel like you have enough answers. And it can be draining. It can be tiring. It can be exhausting. And Paul is like, listen, I am writing to you to tell you that you and I are enough. And so Paul hits home with this. And I think there's three different things breaking down each of these verses that we can really pull out of this and how it applies to our lives. The first one is the fact that we actually get our confidence from Christ. Our confidence does not come from us, thank goodness, because my confidence can sometimes one minute be totally here and then the very next minute it's like here. It's always up and down. Our confidence comes from Christ. And with Christ we can do anything. And so when we're presenting the gospel, when we're nervous and we're afraid to say something wrong, we have to know that as, as people who, if you're going to step into that life with Jesus, then you have to know that he is the one who actually fills you with confidence to do so. But the struggle with that is oftentimes we immediately want that when really it's, it's a two-way street here and we also need to be putting in the work. We want the confidence, but oftentimes we get afraid to put in the work, and we don't want to put in the work in order to kind of get that confidence, to build that confidence. Jesus is there. He's waiting. But he also needs us to do something to come forward to seek him, to seek after him. Let me explain it like this. I grew up in an, an athletic family. I am I'm not very athletic. <laughs> I try my best. But I grew up watching a lot of sports. I understand sports. I may not be very good at them, but I get it, okay? And a lot of times in sports, you have the playbook. So with the playbook, it has different plays and things that the team and the coach puts together in order to make sure that they can memorize it and they can execute a play well in order to defeat the other team. And so they pour over it and they memorize it and they make sure that they know their positions and they make sure that they know exactly where they're supposed to be and they make sure that they, they have that thing memorized so that while they can also uh, ad-lib and make sure that they're playing the best play possible, they can fall back on these, this playbook in order to actually do very well. And they know 
that if they, have, if they are failing, they have the confidence that when all else fails, they're able to use the playbook to defeat the other team. But if they went into the game and expected to be confident in their plays, but didn't do their homework, didn't research the playbook, didn't memorize it, didn't know their position, didn't listen to what the coach was telling them, what do you think is going to happen? Chaos. And so while they're there, they're on the team, it also requires them to participate and actively pursue understanding the game and understanding this, this lifestyle. And this is often like us living our faith. This isn't just magic and we just sit back and we're like, okay, Jesus, I'm following you, so I should have like unlimited confidence. No, no, no. He's like, listen, I need you to study the playbook. And that means being in his word, listening to his voice, talking to him, walking with him, actively pursuing him. He wants to know that, that you are also pursuing him. He's like, listen, I'm here. I have everything to give you, but you actually have to be asking for it. And so we cannot expect to have this confidence if we're sitting around not actually trying to know who he is. Because the more we understand about him, the more we understand where that confidence comes from. And so confidence ultimately from God is not being prideful or arrogant, but it is about humility and active listening to him. It is about humbling ourselves to go, you're right, I can't do this by myself, I do need you. And so Paul is like, listen, I get this, and he out of everyone understands because he was prideful, he was arrogant. I mean, this guy was a murderer, he thought he was doing the right thing, he thought he was helping people out, he thought he was going around and, and it was for the cause of God. His pride was getting in the way and then God was like, stop. So he gets it when he says that my confidence is not from me, but it is in the humility I have to listen to God and to understand that he is ultimately my source of confidence. And then he immediately dives in into the second thing that we can take. The fact that our competence comes from God. And the bottom line with this is the fact that our success is not based on whether we're able to pull off this Christian life alone. You see, Paul knew that he was not qualified for this job. He says multiple times in his letters that he is probably, he thinks that he's like, I am the least qualified myself alone. But my intelligence and my competence comes from God. And at the end of the day, we really struggle with this, and I get it because I can struggle with this too, because I think that my own intelligence and my own knowledge has to be the reason as to why I am successful and why I can do things. Or I have to be the reason why this plan for my life actually is successful. And I love this quote. I, you're going to love this quote. I saw this quote the other day, and it's like, when God put a call on your life, he already factored in your stupidity. <laughs> I'm going to read it again just for effect. When God put a call on your life and my life, he factored in our stupidity. Thank goodness, too. Because <laughs> I do not always make the right choices. But I think that we see that and we think even stepping into a relationship with God, we think that we have to be ready. Whoa, 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 God, I'm not ready. I don't know enough. I should probably go to school. I should probably get a job. I should probably start a family. I should, like we kind of start like putting these qualifiers there to like, oh, I have to do this and I have to do that in order to be intelligent enough, in order to be enough. And that is not how he works. 
Because he's like, no, 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 in your weakness, I am strong. I, when I was writing this, the, like one of the only things that came to mind was probably the first time I was ever like talking to a student and I didn't know what to say. So I didn't, I was in youth ministry, but then I, in, until college, I hadn't really worked with a youth group. And I remember to this day, the first time I ever felt like, what am I doing? Like, why am I doing this? I was interning at a, uh, uh, interning at a church in Cleveland. It was a pretty large church. They had a great youth ministry. I love that youth ministry. They're awesome. And I had the opportunity to go and intern for them when I was in college. I was about, uh, about a sophomore, junior. So I went for the summer and I interned under this youth pastor and I remember getting pretty close to one of the teens. And uh, her and I, we were hanging out a lot. We would go to coffee, we'd go grab lunch. And she really didn't open up much. She wasn't someone to really speak about her life very much. And I was fine with that. I was cool with that. I was like, okay, whatever. And, and so one day, though, towards the end of the summer, we went to coffee, and she was like, hey, you know, I think I trust you enough. I really just have a lot on my, on my mind and on my heart. I'd love to share it. And I was like, yeah, of course. And in my mind, I'm like, yes, this is youth ministry. I got it. Like, I am doing this. Like, I am I'm rocking this. And I'm sitting there, and I'm listening to her, and all of a sudden, she just starts, like, like unloading all of this really, really deep stuff. She starts talking about trauma from her past. She starts unloading about her family difficulties. She starts unloading about things that, like, that she was struggling with and sharing it and being open. And like the longer she talked, the more I was like, oh, okay, okay, great, okay, okay. And I just kind of kept like rolling with it because I wasn't really sure what was going on. And in the end, she's like, okay, there you go. And I had nothing. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to respond. I was kind of like, what do I do? What do I say? That was a lot. Like, I don't really know. And I was speechless. I was like, okay. And in my mind, I was like, God, come on, like, you got to give me something. And then I also, in my mind, was like, come on, Taylor, like, you've taken pastoral counseling classes. I've been taking psychology classes at that point. I had been, like, in theology classes. I'd been in the Bible. I had tools. I'd been reading books. I was preparing. This was going to be my job. And the first time this happens to me, I had nothing. After two years of college, I didn't know what to say. And I was like, Oh God, if you don't give me something to say right now, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm panicking. And I distinctly remember God just being like, no, 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 I, I don't want you to say anything. And I was like, what? No, I have, to, I have to help her. I have to do something. I have to turn into a counselor right now and kind of like help her out. And, uh, and he was like, whoa, 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 no, no. I need you to not do anything. And he's like, I need you to just kind of let go and be, in, be present, be in the moment. And she was crying, actually, because it was a lot for her. And so, and so I just started crying. And I was like, that was very hard for you to share. And, and I'm really sorry that all that happened, but I'm here for you. And I left it. I don't really know where she is today. But what I do know is that she left saying that she felt so much better because she kind of just needed to get that off her chest. And I'm not saying that the things that I didn't learn in school don't have a place. There have been times where that is very helpful, very useful. That's why I went to school for it, all of that. But as I said earlier, I'm very passionate about youth ministry, and I have to say that every single one of my best stories 
never happen because of something intelligent that I said. They happen because I stood back and that day I, re I realized a very key detail about living a life as a Christian. And it's the fact that what I say and what I do needs to be filtered through God first. Not whatever book I read that I think would be a really, really nifty tool. And if that's what God uses, if God says, hey, this is actually what you need to use, you remember that book you read, you remember that tool you have, go ahead and use it, great, fantastic. But my intelligence and my competence does not come from myself, it comes from God. And if I'm not filtering what he wants me to say, then I personally don't want to hear it because it's coming from me. He is the source of our competence and our knowledge. And so we need to make sure, like Paul's doing, the fact that we are filtering in what God is saying and what he wants us to say, and that actually releases a lot of pressure from us to always have the answer. And so then finally Paul goes to life from the Spirit. And he talks about the fact that we have life in the Spirit and therefore that makes us enough. And this is really where the scripture hit home for me back in college and this is really where the scripture can hit home for me today because I get it. As I'm, a, I'm a woman in ministry. I'm a pastor. And as a female, as a pastor, it is not always the easiest road because oftentimes I have had people tell me that I should not be in the job that I'm in. I remember sitting in college and sitting in an admissions counselor's office and them going, maybe you should try our education department. And I'm like, listen, I think the teachers are amazing, but I don't feel called to be a teacher. I feel called to be a pastor. And I remember them kind of telling me that. And I remember sitting in college and having discussions with other students at the lunch table and them telling me, you shouldn't be in this major and I'm going to tell you why. And you're like, great, here we go again. And so I know what it's like to kind of feel and have the rest of the world tell you, like, you're not qualified for this. But the truth is, is that you and I have to come to our own conclusion that when God has called you to something, when it aligns with Scripture, and it is something that he wants you to do, that it is not going to fail. And that he has given us the competence, the confidence, and the life to actually do so. And, and the devil wants nothing more than for you and I to just stay silent. He wants nothing more than for you and I to just kind of listlessly move through life and not actually passionately follow after what Christ has for you and I. And he wants that fear to overtake us and that, that, that unsureness and that I'm not enoughness to take over and to, to dictate what we do because he would rather us be apathetic. And, and I've had to come to the conclusion and the decision that when God has called me to something, nothing else will get in the way because God is the one who is orchestrating it. And he already took into account my stupidity. You just gotta realize that. And Paul, I love this scripture. Oh, I love it because I think that Paul, he never once says this is because of something that I did. He is adamant that this is because of what God did. And I love this quote from Christine Kane where she says, we will always think we lack courage, the time, the influence, the experience, but it isn't about what we have or don't have, it's about who God is. 
I should have just said that at the beginning. We all could have just gone home right after that. She does a great job. She just sums it right up. But that is the bottom line. And it's the fact that our challenge is that we cannot have the confidence in God without the humility to admit that we need him first. And we have to know, as I said before, that when God has called you into a life, he has equipped you for something. And the truth is that when you step into a life with God, you and I have the confidence and the power to not only speak into others' lives, but to make change happen. And so today, my ultimate challenge to you is how are you going to boldly approach the world with this assurance that we are worthy of preaching and ministering to it? And I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know what area that is. You might be super confident in one area, but there's another area where you're like, I am not enough. Well, that's okay because God is the one who made you enough. doesn't actually rely on you. But are you putting in the work? Are you putting in the effort? Are you looking at God and saying, I will boldly follow after you and I will not remain silent? And so that is my hope. That is my prayer for you. That is my encouragement to you. That is what I, I want all of my teens to believe. That when God has equipped you and called you to something, there's nothing that's actually going to stand in the way. So whatever that looks like for you this week, I want you to take that and I want you to go back, read the entire book of Corinthians. It's a great letter. But I recommend that you really look at your heart and go, God, where have you called me to be so much more? All right, let's pray. God, I just thank you for today. I thank you for everything you've done. I thank you for everyone in here. I pray that you just give them the, your spirit, that you are just filling them with your wisdom and your knowledge. And God, I just pray that as we move forward from this place, that you are continuing to just uh, fill us with who you are um, and that we are just able to understand how blessed we are to have you in our lives and that we are willing to take that, that bold step towards you, God. We love you so much, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. All right, have a great week. Thanks for joining us today. To stay up to date with our weekly messages, make sure to subscribe and follow us on social media. You can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, or download our app today to stay connected with all things The Valley. And if today's message impacted you or changed your life, share it with a friend. Because changed lives change lives.